This is Angelina, and you're listening to On My Mind Podcast. Hi, listeners, and welcome back to On My Mind Podcast. So today I've got two um, really exciting guests uh, here with me. So we've got Zoe and Oscar. Uh, Zoe, do you want to start off by introducing yourself a little bit? Okay. Um, hi, I'm Zoe. I um, am like born and raised in Northern Virginia, and I am half Vietnamese. And um, I think that being Vietnamese has heavily impacted um, kind of my experience growing up in Virginia and in America. And I'm excited to talk about um, issues facing the Asian American community. Cool. Um, Oscar? I'm Oscar. Um, I was born and raised in Toronto, but we moved to Hong Kong last summer because of the pandemic. Um, I think as an Asian growing up in Canada for the majority of my life has also affected um, how I view my my culture. And I'm also excited to talk about the issues. Yeah, um, I'm really excited to have you guys on. And I wanted to start talking just a little bit about the um, why there's been so much more attention on social media uh, about anti-Asian hate crimes. Um, And I actually found this really shocking statistic that um, according to the New Yorker, anti-Asian hate crimes have more than doubled between 2019 and 2020. And a big part of that is due to the pandemic um, and the very racist comments that uh, Donald Trump made, calling it the Chinese virus, et cetera. Um, So I think that is kind of on the surface, the a a trigger of it but obviously there is a lot more to unpack um and I I don't think we can just point a finger and say oh that's it like that's that's the only reason this is happening because there's a there's a lot more to it um and I also think what what we need to address is the whole model minority myth because I did a little bit of research on the the background of it and it's actually very interesting because obviously in the 1940s in the U.S. um there was a lot of violence against Asians because of uh, World War II and obviously um, uh, Japan and and the US. Um, But then during the 60s, that kind of changed because the US wanted to portray itself as this beacon of democracy and racial equality. And so Asian Americans were kind of part of that marketing. They were saying like, oh, these were our enemies and now we overcame this and now we're all living together and now they're like the model minority. Um, and so I, I actually thought that was really interesting. And so I just want to start off by talking about this Asian model minority stereotype, because if you think about it like, oh, but it's a positive stereotype, right? So like, what are what are the downsides to that? Or what do you guys think? How has that um impacted you maybe both in a positive light but also in a negative one Mm, well at least with the the whole like model minority myth how it's impacted me um I've definitely received a lot of comments throughout school you know it's like oh you did good on that test it's because you're Asian or like even like things like art um I don't know where that came from but it'll be like oh you're so good at art you know Asians are so good at art and it's just like oh well like can I not just be like talented at this on my own instead of you know it just having to do with my race um but then there'll also be like 
like it's like when you when you make a comment about that like oh that doesn't really feel right you know it's like oh well it's a compliment you should you should just be happy that I'm complimenting you um but I think it also kind of puts this pressure on a lot of Asian kids to um live up to this really high standard of just being good at math science art whatever it is um because you're Asian and if you can't fit that then you're weird why why aren't you fitting into this whole like um this 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 like mold that you're supposed to fit at least in like people's minds of who you should be yeah I've I've um I've definitely noticed that and I also think what's interesting is like if it's like oh if you're not you know like super smart then you have to be like super attractive and be like a model or something like I don't know I I feel like there's it's it's really sad that there's not just like a there's just that those expectations of you have to be this or that um yeah um and what I also think is interesting is um in Hong Kong, I see this a lot as well, even though obviously as Asians, like you are the, the majority, um, I do think that that pressure is still very much evident here. Um, so then I also, I just kind of touched on this a little earlier, but what I think is, is interesting is the, this um, portrayal of Asian women, especially in the media, um, and the, the hyper-sexualization, fetish, fetishization of Asian women. Um, and I know, Zoe, you wanted to touch on this before. And it was yeah. interesting because I did a little bit of um, a little bit of research. And um, the way it's portrayed is that either Asian women are kind of the, the dragon lady, like evil, yeah. or they're the lotus blossom. So they're like submissive and innocent. Um, yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I think that there's there's such a long history, um, at least particularly in America, of these whole like stereotypes and like really gendered racism facing um, Asian women like like um, in the like like just a few years before the Chinese Exclusion Act, um, that was like sometime in the 1800s, um, the U.S. government enacted the the um, the Page Act, which basically um, of 1875, which basically prohibited um, like forced labor and prostitution in immigrants coming from Asian countries. And like on the surface, that's like good, you know, like we shouldn't have like forced labor for people. Um, but really, it was actually used to bar Asian women from entering the U.S because it was under the pretense that they were all prostitutes um and a lot of that that stereotype kind of comes from American imperialism because around this time um a lot of Europe was was invading um East Asia and through that invasion there was a lot of um like rape basically and America included also has this like really long history of soliciting sex workers and sex trafficking industries within Asia because Asia does have the highest rates of sex trafficking anywhere in the world and um, a lot of this was actually through like U.S. military occupation of Asia Um, and I think that's where a lot of these stereotypes of Asian women come in like regarding their sexuality Um, because like one there's a lot of cultural misunderstandings and like really like oversimplified like ways of looking at Asian people and like objectification. Um, and I think that's where some of that stereotype comes in that Asian women were like sexually docile or like exotic, things like that. Um, and a lot of that trope was 
has just been like memorialized through um, media. Like, like for example, um, I don't know if you've heard of Miss Saigon, but it's this like huge Broadway show basically about this, um, it's during the Vietnam War that my mom was actually a refugee from the Vietnam War. It's basically about, it's about this woman, I can't remember her name, but she's Vietnamese, she's very young and she's forced into prostitution because of the war. And an American GI comes in, um, he, she falls in love with him. She thinks that he's gonna take her to America, but then um, right around the time of the war ending, he leaves, she's pregnant with his child and she's so heartbroken that she kills herself. Um, and basically her entire life just revolves around like this this one man yeah. and being like the perfect lotus blossom for him yeah. and people like ate this stuff up they this was such a huge success in broadway yeah. um it really does um play into this whole trope that asian women are like so sexually subservient and like you know that whole like me love you long time stereotype mm. yeah thanks that was really really informative because um a lot of that i actually wasn't very aware of um so no, so I like that you gave a little background about where this um, where this trope is, is coming from and how it's it's harmful because it's also led to a lot of violence. And um, I kind of want to switch back to like the current situation right now. So obviously, Oscar, you're living in Hong Kong, so it's a little bit different for you. Um, but um, for both of you, so uh, Oscar, when you were in, in Canada and obviously Zoe for you now, do you guys, have you felt a shift in your community? Like, is there, do you feel more scared? Um, how, how has this impacted you basically? Well, I consider myself really fortunate. So I've never been discriminated against solely for my race, mm. but there was like a little rise of like um, coronavirus jokes when the pandemic was um, in like the first few phases, I guess. Yeah. Um, like, um, oh, don't trust Oscar. He has coronavirus. Like, mm-hmm. I think although it might seem a little harmless at first, I think it has to do with um, like the age, the mi- sorry, the model minority stereotype where that kind of, um, for lack of a better word, encourages um, stereotyping because it kind of shows that like Asians are um, the most privileged minority. So like these comments can't possibly harm them, right? When in reality, it can affect them. Like saying an Asian is good at math can be just as harmful as saying a black person is good at basketball, right? Hmm. Yeah, like it, like putting them into predefined boxes, which is which is what stereotyping is. Um, yeah. yeah, Zoe, do you want to share a bit about your feelings, experiences? Yeah. Um, well, at least for myself personally, I also consider myself very fortunate that I've never, I've never felt unsafe in a room because I was Asian. Um, I think that there, I mean, there definitely have been times throughout my life where you know, like there have been like just racist things said to me and I just kind of brush it off and I'm like you know what like you don't know me but um I definitely do have a lot of Asian friends who have experienced some like pretty horrible things like um one of my friends she's in the drama club and basically um I can't remember what she was saying but this girl was just like shut up COVID 
um which is and no and the teacher was there said nothing um and also my friend who's not Asian, um, she was at a CVS pharmacy. I don't know what she was getting, but basically like they were in line and um, you have to get like tested and everything, you know, like, take your temperature and stuff like that to get in. And in the waiting room, um, like she got in fine, but there was this Asian family. Um, the mom like had her kids and everything. She didn't really speak English that well. And the guy who was like, you know, taking everybody's temperature, he was just doing a bunch of extra things for her that he didn't do for everybody else, very unnecessary. Um, and the mom, she couldn't really like, you know, defend herself because she didn't really have the words to say. And she just had her kids trying to like mind her own business. Mm -hmm. And um she she asked that guy she was like why are you you know treating them differently than everybody else like why are you giving them all these extra tests and he said to her he called her the n-word um wow. which yeah is like literally insane and everybody in that waiting room they just sat there in complete silence mm. and yeah. I think it's it's interesting um because so what I'm what I'm getting from you guys is that there you felt definitely an increase in um microaggressions but also more outward aggression or more outward um racist comments or jokes um and often i think people are bystanders bystanders and don't really don't really intervene or say anything um and obviously you always want to be um, like the the heroic one to be like no don't say that like you obviously you don't want to be a bystander um so in those moments I mean obviously this is not like there's not one solution to this but in those moments what what do you guys feel is is the best way to kind of intervene or say something without making it into a huge thing I guess you could ask the person why they feel that way because mm. I feel like a lot of the a lot of the hate against the Asian community right now is based on blame. And I like you said earlier, um, the pandemic has like a lot of causes and it's a really complex situation, but people often try to find the easy solution, which is just to find one person or one group of people to blame because that's easier than accepting that um the pandemic is fundamentally really complex and hard to get to like the base of, you know? Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting point. I think for like, um, at least when you're witnessing something, something hateful going on, um, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it to, you know, like be an upstanding citizen. Um, like if, if like you feel so comfortable enough that like you can just like straight up confront that person and be like, you should not be saying that, you know, it would be awesome if everybody could do that. But I mean, it's in that moment, it, it, it can be really hard to, you know, say something, especially if you're just Definitely. like so sh like shocked at what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I think like, if you, if you don't feel comfortable enough to like say something in that moment, like going out of your way afterwards, just like go up to that person and be like, I'm like, sorry, that happened to you. Like I, like I just hope you know that I don't feel that way like you are like totally welcome here um or if like you if you think that the situation is getting hostile like this person is being violent and you don't think that it's safe for you to just like straight up intervene 
um, like trying to just like evacuate, like de-escalate, like get the people who are involved like away from that person who is like trying to be violent. Like any of those things I think are incredibly helpful um, in like hateful situations. Mm, yeah, thanks. I like that you uh, that you brought that up. Um, yeah, both of you, I think, have really uh, thoughtful comments with that. And I do agree it's important to, obviously, this isn't something you can do right away on site, but um, kind of address like people's internalized stereotypes. Because like I mentioned earlier, the pandemic has exacerbated these um, these crimes, but there's more to it and, it and it comes from a long history, um, especially obviously in the US. Um, and now I want to talk a, a, just a little bit about like how you guys feel, because um, I read this article the other day and it was really interesting because the word kind of, or like Asian American, um, it's like, obviously you're, you're American, but then people might ask you like, oh, but where are you really from? Like, you know, um, and, and have you guys, how do you, how have you guys navigated that kind of like identity um, thing? <laughs> um, at least for me, I think that um, there's kind of this, there's, there's this like constant feeling of being Asian American that you don't belong anywhere because you're, you're always like foreign, at least in America. Um, like, like no matter how hard you try, like you still are like, a very small minority and you are different than everybody else in the room usually um but then because you have like because you have this American identity when you go back to like um when you if you go back to like your home country then there's this whole like there's this huge separation between you and everybody else there because you're the American like at least for me I don't speak um any Vietnamese my mom she actually had to forget Vietnamese when she came here because they were like she came here when she was 12 um and they were like, if you want to learn English, don't speak Vietnamese at home. Don't speak it with any of your family members. Just forget it and you will learn English and you'll have the best chances of succeeding in America. So I never got the opportunity to learn it. So then when I go back to Vietnam, it's like um, I, I can't even talk to my relatives. So we just use Google Translate or I speak to them through my grandma. Um, but but yeah, it's kind of this this it's a very isolating feeling sometimes um, of like like who am I and why do I feel like there's no spaces where I can like truly belong? Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. Um, Oscar, what about you? Yeah, I can totally see where Zoe's coming from, especially like having lived in both sides, like yeah. having experienced both sides of my culture. Um, in Canada, well, like I said, I was really fortunate to have never been discriminated for my race but there were things that were still considered too quote unquote white for me to understand, like um, getting a job apparently, or yeah, that's the only one I can think of. But other than that, coming, coming here, um, like Zoe said, um, I never got to learn, I never got to learn how to read or write Cantonese. I was fortunate enough to learn it through just communicating with my mother. But even then, I'm really, I feel, I do feel really, um, what's the word? Disconnected. Yeah, disconnected from the culture here. Um, because although I've visited every year of my, every year or so of my life, it's a very different 
thing to live here and experience the culture here. Um, so yeah, I agree with Zoe. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I also, um, what I'm hearing from you guys is also the language plays a big role um, in this idea of identity. Um, and also the idea of like, um, you know, both of you obviously don't don't have any accents when you speak English, um, like you, you sound kind of American or Canadian, um, but then you don't, like people assume that it's this is like this is in between space um and yeah language does play a big part in connecting with um like your your culture and if you don't speak it I guess it, it can feel like you're kind of um disconnected a little bit yes Oscar I should probably I should probably clarify that I meant getting a job in high school okay yeah <laughs> okay um cool so do you ha guys have any closing remarks? Um, any last words that you want to add? Mm, I there was like, I kind of wanted to get into um, like I, I was talking about my own personal experience with the model minority myth, um, but I didn't like I didn't really get into the whole like general like history of it, um, which I think is like important for contextualizing yeah. like, like where it came from. Yeah. But um, the the thing with the model minority myth is that it was started really to um, put Asian Americans on a pedestal to put down black Americans um, kind of as a justification um, and basically like blaming um, like lower income black families for their own poverty and saying like, oh, well you just didn't work hard enough because look at these Asian people, like they're minorities, but they're doing awesome. Um, which is just totally a lie because um, like in the late um, 20th century, there was a huge influx of Asian immigrants coming into America, but a lot of them were only allowed in if they were like they had like whole like formal educations PS PhDs like really high paying jobs like doctors engineers all of those things mm -hmm. and it was specifically to kind of ramp up you know like the statistics like look Asian like Asian yeah. Americans have so many high earners all of those things to make them to make us seem like a model minority um but it just totally puts Asians into this like monolithic category of high earners when really like if you look at like the statistics of like all there's like hundreds of ethnic groups of Asians like the, it's not that we're all high earners it's just that there's like certain ethnic groups that are because of the immigrants that were allowed into the U.S. but like for example like um, Cambodian and Hmong um, Asian immigrants here are like the average household income is below the poverty line um, and th th that's just like a few that I can think of off the top of my head but um, like there's so many different ways to be Asian in America and I think that the model minority myth like historically has just been kind of used to kind of put like use Asians as like a, a bartering chip um, yeah. for like a greater agenda that America has to prove like and then it, it's kind of weird because it switches in between that but also the whole like yellow peril stereotype that was started like with the Chinese Exclusion Act that that Asian people are coming here and they're going to destroy American way of life and they're going to take all of our jobs so like when it's convenient for America we are the model minority we're these like studious people who like willingly participate and like and succeed in like the capitalist mode that we have but then when when it's inconvenient for us like if we need to justify you know dropping the deadliest bomb of all time on Japan then suddenly we are the yellow peril 
or like when we are competitors against like the American market, like with China, um, then we're also the yellow peril. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, thank you so much for that bit of uh, history and historical context, because I do think it's really important in, in understanding the situation as a whole and putting it into context. Um, and I like that you, the phrase that I think is really impactful is there are so many ways to be Asian in America. Um, mm -hmm. Like it's not just, oh, the model minority. It's, it's there, there are so many different ways and obviously um, different places and et cetera. Um, so yeah, no, thank you so much for, for sharing that and um, sharing your, also your personal experiences. Um, Oscar, was there anything that you wanted to add or discuss? I was thinking like the same thing as Zoe, but I didn't consider the fact that it was used to put down black people. I just mm -hmm. remember that like America would only let like the rich in so that they could only use those statistics instead of, um, yeah. instead of just, sorry, I don't. No, it's okay. No, yeah. like as a political, um, it's kind of used as a political agenda, unfortunately. Um, and when right. it's convenient, it's the model minority. And like you said, when, uh, when not, then it's, you know, yellow peril. And especially I think right now we're getting into an interesting phase of history where, um, there's obviously growing tensions between China and the U.S. And I think there's also that interesting uh, like disconnect of how do um, Chinese Americans feel about China and how, how that's going to evolve as well as something that um, is very interesting and also very current. Um, so, yeah, thanks so much, guys, for for sharing your insights. I think this was a really helpful episode also, not just for listeners, but also for me personally, actually, to um, yeah, learn a little more about the history and what it's actually like for, for you guys and trying to, obviously I'll never be able to fully understand what it's like, but you know, this is my attempt at kind of also opening up my mind and really um, trying to, uh, to help the world a little bit um, through, through conversation. Um, so yeah, 